Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. You know, it's great when God does the preaching during the worship and that you feel that what you have to do is just draw the bits together because he's been talking to us already this morning about trust about responding to his call and about letting him be our everything and Joel, I wonder if at the end, can we sing again that Be My Everything? Okay, yeah, again. We'll sing it four, five, whatever. Uh, well, you play it, we'll get Abby to sing it. Huh? You may remember that last time I preached, which was a couple of weeks back, I preached on one of our key values as a church, which is about a church which is freed from complacency. And I know that from various conversations that since then, several people have been considering areas in which they started to get comfortable. And I'd like to encourage you to keep doing that. In all areas of our life together, there is so much that is still awaiting us. You know, there is more freedom in our worship. There is more intimacy to come in our devotion. There's more power to be seen in our prayer. And there's more expectation to be had of seeing signs and wonders. Because the more of God's Spirit we see in our daily life, the more we will see. That's what it all comes down to at the end of the day. More living in and more seeing the fruit of the kingdom that is yet to come. You see, we live in a time that's almost between two kingdoms. When Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead, he set something in motion. He started something. He started his kingdom, a place where he reigns, where his influence is sovereign. It was established then as he died on the cross and rose. It's here. It's with us. It's amongst us. It's being ushered in. And one day, when Christ returns in glory, it's going to be complete. But now, in this present age, what we see is his kingdom being extended. We see kingdom advance. We see breakthrough come. And we hope to see more and more. We see glimpses of the kingdom now. As we see healings, as we see miracles happen, as we see kingdom values restored across this nation and across the earth, we see the kingdom come. But for the moment, we have to be content 
with these glimpses. And today I want to talk about being a church that seeks the kingdom and all that it brings with it. I'm sure we all know the verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you're of a similar age to me, you probably have sung a song about it when you were in Sunday school. But what does it really mean? What does it mean to seek the kingdom? And what does it mean about the things that will be added to us? If we're not careful, it's another one of these verses that we memorise, which then becomes disconnected from its context and begins to take on a life and a meaning of its own. So let's read the passage in context, the surrounding chapter. It's Matthew 6 if you want to follow it. Be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus then, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, 
but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, and neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For he'll either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. For what you eat or for what you drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore don't be anxious, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you see it now? Do you see the context in which it's given? It's all to do with our heart, our motivation for doing things. Jesus, as he is teaching his disciples, is honing in on the underlying reasons that people do things. And so he starts off by giving them the headlines, before getting into the detail, but he gives it to them straight. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He says it straight. He gives them both barrels. 
If you're going to do something, if you're going to do something that is good, be careful. Don't do it in front of other people so that they see you. He was aware that people could be motivated by what other people thought about them. And so they would go and do things for that reason and for that reason alone, so that others would think more highly of them. It only goes to show that image is not something new. Even 2,000 years ago, people had egos, they had ambitions, and they had aspirations. And some people would be motivated to do things just to get a good reputation. And so he warns them, if that is your motivation for doing things, then don't expect God to be impressed. And then he starts to give examples. And although some of them might feel far-fetched today, I think they were probably based on real things that he'd seen and he'd observed. (coughs) When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. Can you imagine it? It might sound ridiculous. You're shopping in Doncaster Town Centre when suddenly you hear trumpets and voices. And as you push through the crowd to see what the fuss is going on, you see someone, some self-important man, giving a pound to a homeless person. It might sound silly, but the modern-day equivalent is not so different. The rich and the famous tell TV crews in advance of where and when they are going to be displaying their generosity. They do it to make sure it gets reported on the news and in the morning papers. And Jesus tells us about a better way. And he tells us it brings a reward. But when you give to the needy, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, so that your father who sees in secret will reward you. When our giving is done quietly, with a minimum of fuss, we can be sure that our hearts are pure, that there's no danger of it being about our image. Because nobody else knows. Having tackled those who want to appear generous, he moves on to the next heart issue. Those who want to appear spiritual. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, because they love to stand on the corner of the street and in the synagogues and impress people with their words. I say to you, they've had their reward. Jesus was not a lover of prayers that were said to impress other people. You know, when we use long words, when we use flowery language, we might impress one another, but God sees straight through it all. He sees whether our prayers are sincere or not. And so Jesus gave some advice. He said, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray in secret. Because your father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't heap up empty phrases 
like the Gentiles do. Because they think they'll be heard because of the number of words they use. Don't be like them. Because your father knows already what you need. Now in saying this, he wasn't decrying the value of corporate prayer. He wasn't saying we shouldn't pray together, or pray together in twos or threes, or have prayer meetings. What he was saying was he was getting people to see that if all you're trying to do is impress others with your spirituality, then you've lost the plot. You'd be better off praying alone, where there's no temptation to perform, and no one to see how you do. Because that way... Your prayers are going to be real. I mean, I'm sure we've all been in prayer meetings where someone dominates with lengthy and almost meaningless prayers. His advice is simple. God knows what you need. There's no need for lengthy explanations. We just need to ask. You know, the evangelist D.L. Moody wasn't a fan of lengthy prayers either. And it's reported that at one of his prayer meetings, someone's prayer was getting a little too long and uh, a little too flowery for his liking. And so he turned to his musical director, Sankey, and he said to him, Sankey, would you lead us in a hymn while our brother carries on praying? The German author G.E. Lessing summed it up like this. One single grateful thought raised to heaven is the most perfect prayer. One single grateful thought raised to heaven is the most perfect prayer. And so having then giving us, sorry, giving us then a model for our prayer, Jesus then continues against those who want to impress others with their spirituality. When you fast, don't look gloomy. Don't be like the hypocrites, but disfigure their faces so that everyone knows they're fasting. When you fast, anoint your head. Wash your face. So that your fasting isn't obvious to other people. Again, it doesn't really mean that others shouldn't know that we're fasting, that we can't agree to fast together. But what it's about is ensuring our motivation is pure. The question is, would we be prepared to fast if no one else knew? Because if we, are, if we would, our desire can't be to look spiritual. Each time, he warned his disciples that those who seek the approval of other people will have already received their reward. And they'll see no further reward from God. And having left them with that sombre thought, he goes on to turn their minds to rewards that endure. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures in earth. 
those who had been motivated to keep the right image might well benefit in the short term. They might gain the favour of others. But as he goes on to point out, that these things are temporary. Our possessions degrade and they wear out. They can be lost, they can be stolen, and they devalue. More importantly, building up treasure on earth tends to make us self-reliant rather than depending for our provision on our God, Jehovah Jireh. So instead, Jesus encourages us to open up a savings account in heaven and then to fill it, to fill it with the rewards that our Father gives us. Rewards that are eternal, rewards that can't spoil and can't be stolen. And he reminds us the effect that has on us. Because he says where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be as well. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And it's true. The more people own, the more preoccupied they become about their possessions. Treasure on earth takes up our energy and our time. When we'd be much better off thinking about the kingdom. You know, cleaning the car on a Sunday morning for many takes the place of worshipping God. So Jesus then goes on to give us a different outlook. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or about your body. Because there's more to life than that. The Bible teaches us about a God who created the universe, who holds everything in balance and sustains it. He told Jeremiah that he knew him before he was even formed in his mother's womb. He knew him from the point of conception. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. It says he's able to number the hairs on our head. Some of us are making that job easier for him as time goes by. But it's a job that we can't do ourselves. And here we read that he knows what we need. He knows the food we need. He, needs, he knows the clothing we need. So what possible cause can we have to worry? And that's just the backdrop. It's against that backdrop that Jesus then tells his disciples, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek the kingdom. Let that be your preoccupation. Don't worry about wealth and material possessions. In fact, don't even worry about your food and clothing. Just seek the kingdom. And all the things you need will be added to you. 
You know, we can read this verse and so easily skip over the first half and concentrate on what will be added. When we do that, what it shows is that deep inside of us we're still materialistic. That's what still lives in our hearts. We need instead to focus on the first part. Seek the kingdom. And you know, that's easier said than done. Defining the kingdom is the easy bit. Believe it or not, it's understanding it that takes some thought. Just like the kingdom of any ruler, God's kingdom is the area in which God's rule and authority is recognised and accepted. However, unlike other rulers, God's kingdom is not geographic. It can't be drawn on a map or defined on the globe. Rather, God's kingdom resides in pockets here and there. It resides in the actions and thoughts of people and in moments of time. And that's what makes it so difficult to get to grips with. We're a kingdom people. When we give our lives to Christ, we become citizens of God's kingdom. And as a result, we become open to the rule of God in our lives. So to one extent, God's kingdom is everywhere his people are. But that's not the end of it. Because God's kingdom extends wherever his rule and his influence extend. Jesus explained it. In Matthew 11 we read, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcibly advancing. And forceful men take hold of it. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. Forcefully. Every time we see godly things prevail, the kingdom of God moves forward. It takes ground. Every time we see godly principles established, we see it progress. And it progresses through the actions of forceful men and women. Like Wilberforce, like Wesley, like Newton. Who put all of themselves into seeing this nation changed for the better. But it also changes through men and women. Like Martin Vernon. Like Sue Wallace. Like Betty. Like many others here today. Who as they make decisions, influence others to do godly things. To behave in godly ways. You know, Moses was promised a land in Exodus 23. And he was told that little by little... God's enemies would be driven out. God's reign 
is restored as ordinary men and women forcefully take hold of kingdom values and drive God's enemies out. Simple as it sounds, we know what many of these values are because they're the ways of God. As we become more like him, as we see things more through his eyes, as our actions are guided more by his Holy Spirit, the more the kingdom is extended. God's kingdom is a place of justice, of mercy, of love and of righteousness. So when we see injustice overturned, hatred opposed, compassion demonstrated, or sin turned away from, we are seeing God's kingdom come. His kingdom is a place where there's no hunger or need. So as we see God's provision extended to people, whether in terms of their physical, emotional or spiritual needs, his kingdom forcefully advances. God's kingdom has no place for suffering or for need. So as we see compassion demonstrated, comfort given, or sickness healed, his kingdom is being ushered in. This is God's kingdom. Everywhere, his rule and his authority reign. And we are called to seek it as a priority over our own needs. What Jesus is really talking about in this whole chapter 6 of Matthew is about what preoccupies us. He's pointing out that it is all too easy to become overwhelmed, worrying about what the future holds. I mean, that's true today with the way the economy is. Will I have a job? What will happen if I get made redundant? Will the cutbacks at work mean that I have to sell my house? Those are questions that are real for many people. But we serve a God who revealed himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And he's been doing that for his people ever since. So as we turn our attention from worrying about tomorrow... As we learn to leave that safely in God's hands, we can turn our attention to eternal matters. Things that build up treasure in heaven and bring the kingdom of God into this world. We can extend God's mercy to those in need. We can campaign for justice for those who are suffering. We can show compassion to those who are mourning or have suffered loss. We can simply explain the hope that is within us to the hopeless. We can give the good news to those who need to hear it. You know, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come. 
Your kingdom come on earth just like it is in heaven. If that truly becomes our cry constantly and consistently as we go through our life, we will become increasingly a people who seek the kingdom. And as we do that, we will increasingly see it advanced. As we turn our attention to these things, Jesus reassures us that our needs will be taken care of. He doesn't promise us the red Porsche. He doesn't promise us a million pound home. And I know some people preach he does. But he does promise us that we will be free from the cares of the world. That we'll have no worries over what we wear or what we eat. And you know what? That sounds great to me. Let's be a church that seeks the kingdom and all that it brings with it. You know, there's no room for complacency here. Seek first the kingdom. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 